Well, today we're going to walk through this week and again next week kind of some, some lessons that we've learned as we've walked through this season of prayer and fasting here at Thomas Road. As we walk through this, uh, that 21 days that ended last Sunday, uh, I determined in my own Bible study, in my own walk during this time, that, that I was going to be seeking God's face through, uh, through, on top of my regular reading of God's Word, that I was going to read through the entire book of Psalms during uh, that season, during that 21 days. And as I was reading through the book of Psalms, God began to remind me of the great hope that we can find in the book of Psalms. The great statements that are given to us by God's Word that when life seems to be really tough, when things are really hard, that God is always faithful. And He reminded me as I read psalm after psalm every single day, being reminded of those great statements that we find in God's Word, of the great psalms that that, that you maybe have read, maybe you've memorized. Psalms like Psalm 23 that tell us that even in the valley of the shadow of death that there's nothing to fear because God is with us, that as we walk through life, that His goodness and His mercy are with us every day of our lives, but then also that we dwell in His house forever. The book of Psalms is just chock full of promises that God gives to us, but there are a couple that really kind of stick out to me, and and today one of those is the the psalm that we're going to spend some time in, and that's Psalm 27. And so today what we're going to be talking about, I've entitled this week's sermon, this Sunday's sermon, Alone and Afraid, with a big question mark. And I've done that on purpose because that really is a question that I want to ask as we walk through this passage, that I want to ask of you, that today in your journey, in your life, in your walk with God, in the situations that you're walking through, do you feel alone and afraid? Next week, our our title is going to be Alone and Betrayed. Two different thoughts, two different ideas, two different concepts. But I think probably in those two areas, in those two statements, that we probably cover a wide swath of the people that are gathered together in this room and many more that are watching right now. I know that as we gather here together today that there are scores of people along south side of Virginia, certainly down at Danville, that because of the storms, because of the rains that we've had, the churches are are even closed today because of the weather. I know our Dan River campus is closed today. And so as you're watching this, maybe you're listening to this service, maybe you feel alone and afraid, that maybe whatever you're going through in life, you feel as if nobody else cares, that you feel nobody else understands, that nobody is is there to help you navigate this thing called life. And so today, Psalm 27 is one of those psalms that as I was walking through this 21 days of fasting and prayer in my own personal study of God's Word that really just jumped off of the page at me and spoke directly to me. Today I want to share that with you. But before we get into the passage, I, I want to kind of set the stage for uh, what we are going to be talking about. Now, this Psalm 27 was a psalm, it even says it in your Bible probably, it says right up at the top of the chapter, a psalm of David. And what that means is that this was written by David. And it's a a story, words that he wrote of what he was feeling and what he was going through in a very specific time in his life. And and the context, the circumstances that were surrounding this moment in David's life where he wrote these words, I want to share with you because this is not a psalm that was written like towards the end of David's life. 
It wasn't written after all of the things that David had gone through, all of the, 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 the miraculous move of the hand of God in his life throughout uh, his generations, through, through all the situations that he faced. Now, this is actually a, a psalm that was written earlier, a psalm that tells a story of something that he was going through at a very early stage in his trusting and his walking with God and seeing God do great work in his life. In fact, it's, it kind of goes along with about the time of about 1 Samuel chapter 21. And 1 Samuel chapter 21 was a very interesting period of time in David's life. In fact, if you look at that passage of Scripture, you don't need to turn there, but, but I would encourage you to go back and, and to read uh, those chapters there, starting maybe around 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16 is interesting in David's life because that's the, the moment that he was anointed the future king of Israel. As a young man, can you imagine what that must have felt like as a young man trying to do the right thing? trying to obey his dad, trying to take care of the sheep and all the things that, that he was responsible of taking full care of and, and doing a very good job. He was faithful in that call. And then all of a sudden, this prophet shows up and, and says that, that you are going to be the next king of Israel. Can you imagine what David must have been thinking? And so 1 Samuel 16 was when he was anointed the king. 1 Samuel 17, oh, this was a big one. This is when he actually killed Goliath. This is when he went out to the battlefield, when all of Israel was hiding, when all of the, the armies of Israel were hiding behind trees, hiding back behind their tents, because there in the middle of the valley was this giant of a man who was down there taunting them, making fun of them, mocking the entire kingdom. And even the king himself was not willing to go down and to lead into battle. But yet David, this young kid who shows up and says, listen, I'll go down and fight him. You know the people laughed at him, right? His own brothers were mad, thinking he was some arrogant jerk showing up to try to show off and, and, you know, just go back home and take care of the sheep and leave us to take care of the man's work around here. But you know what David did, right? So David went to the king and said, I'll fight this, this Goliath. I'm not worried about it. The king tried to put the armor on, on David, and it didn't even fit. It was too big for him. And so then he said, you know, I, I don't need that. All I need is a couple of stones this little slingshot, and I need my God. And David walked down into that valley. You know the rest of the story. He took that, that slingshot, and he swung that rock, that stone in the air, and it flew through the air. Perfect. I mean, like, he was a good shot. Like, he was a good old Virginia boy. Good shot. And that stone hit him right in the middle of the forehead, and Goliath fell down, and he went over, and of course, he took that sword, and he cut off the head of Goliath, and now all the Philistines, now they're running. They're scared to death. And, of course, victory came. First uh, Samuel chapter 17. Then you keep on going. First Samuel chapter 18. Now, David's on a high. Like, David's, man, these things are going well for David. In First Samuel chapter 18, King Saul, man, he looks at David and he said, man, this is, uh, I'm going to give you my, my daughter as your spouse, as your wife. So think about it now. In one chapter, he's a young kid anointed as king. In the next chapter, he takes down and wins a huge battle for the nation. He was a hero in the nation. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 18, the king himself gives, gives him his daughter as a bride. The people of Israel are chanting that Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. I mean, David is like a celebrity. He's a hero throughout the land. Things are going really, really well for David until you get to 1 Samuel 19. Because in 1 Samuel 19, we start to hear the rumblings that 
King Saul decided that he was going to kill David. This hero, this champion, this one that everyone was celebrating. Now the king's saying, listen, we're going to, we're going to kill this guy. We're going to take him down. In 1 Samuel chapter 20 is when David recognizes it's time to run. And King Saul's son, Jonathan, tells David by way of a, of a special message and shooting arrows through the air that, that if you hear me say, you know, that you should leave, if you hear me, you know, overshoot and send the boy to run to pick up the, the arrow, and you hear that, it means you, that you ought to go because your life is in danger. And when David was out there hiding and he heard Jonathan speak those words, he then heard Jonathan also say, talking about the urgency of him running and leaving, he said, hurry, go farther, go now, go quickly, because Jonathan knew that David's life was on the line, that he was in danger. And so what did David do? He did exactly that, what Jonathan told him to do. David took off running all by himself. He's alone and afraid. The king of the nation is out to kill him. And what started with this incredible journey of becoming a, an overnight hit, an overnight celebrity, a, a hero throughout the land, now he's actually having to run, and running even without food, without weapons, without anyone by his side. 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we pick up the story of what led to the psalm that today we're all going to be encouraged by. It tells us that after he heard the words, hurry, leave, run, get out of here, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, and he said to him, listen to these words, Why are you alone, and no one is with you? The great David, the hero, the champion, the celebrity, the giant killer, the giant slayer, the one that they were making movies about, the one that all the news agencies was putting on the front page of their websites talking about this young kid, David, that was able to do so much, the one who just a, a few days earlier had been married to the daughter of the king. He was anointed the next king. I mean, like, everything is going well. And now the priest, why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? Let me ask you a question. Could those words be said of you? Has there ever been a moment in your life, in your journey, where you just know that people are thinking, why, why are you all alone? Have you ever felt like everyone has walked out and everyone's left you? Like maybe things were going great, but all of a sudden, in an instant, in a moment, in just a, a split second, everything changes now, and you are by yourself, and you feel that no one cares, that no one's around, no one's going to help you. David shows up to the priest that day, and you know why he showed up to the priest? He was hungry, because he didn't even have food to eat. And he came to Ahimelech, and he said, listen, do you have any bread? I just need some bread. And Ahimelech is confused because David was not a priest. He was not of that line. He really shouldn't have been the one to, to eat the holy bread that was there in the tabernacle. But yet, he, he said, maybe he's on the king's work. He's on the king's mission here. David, you know, told him, I'm doing what the king has told me to do. And, and so he says, well, I've got some bread. I'll, I'll give you some bread. And he gave him the bread so that he would have something to eat. And then David said, do you have any weapons? And Ahimelech said, well, the only weapon I have is Goliath's sword that you took off of him when you killed him. I, I guess certainly I could give that to you. And so he gives him that sword. And then 
David once again flees. He runs again, and, and now he takes off because he's fearful for his life. He finally got some food in his stomach. He finally now has a sword, and so he's all by himself. It's him against the world. And you keep reading in chapter 21 of 1 Samuel, and it says in verse 10 that David then arose, and he fled that day from before Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. Now the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart, and he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them. He pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gate, and he let his saliva fall down on his beard. And then Achish said to his servants, Look, you see the man is insane. So here's what happened. He starts by running, looking for food, begging for food, begging for a weapon. Now he comes into a situation where another king, the king of, of Gath, Achish, is, is, he's fearful that now that king is going to kill him. So he actually has to fake even being insane so that he could try to escape because everyone was against him. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like that maybe in a point in your life that that's kind of where you've been? Now I'm not talking about you're scratching on walls and and, you know, drools running down your mouth. But I'm talking about you feel as if everyone is against you, no one cares, you're all alone, and you're very afraid. It was during this time in David's life that the words of Psalm 27 flowed from his heart. It was during this time of being alone and afraid that David began to share as God spoke through him and as God breathed the words into his heart that he wrote the words that today we're encouraged by. And so I set the stage, I gave you the context of where these words came from, because I want you to remember as we read these words, what was going on in David's life? Because oftentimes we read some of the writings, some of the words that are found in God's word written by the great heroes of the faith. Maybe by the Apostle Paul, or, or, or maybe by David, and we read the words and we think, well, man, of course they're writing these things because they've got it all together. I mean, they're in the Bible. They're like in the hero of the, you know, the hero's hall of fame of the Bible, and they've got everything together. Of course they're writing those words. They don't understand what I'm going through. Yes, they do. They absolutely do because they have been exactly where we have been and maybe are today. So let's just take a few moments now, knowing where these words came from, and let's begin talking a little bit, if we can, about what we can do when we're alone or afraid. And the first thing we see is this, feeling alone is a, is a common condition. It's not unique to you. The way that you feel when you're alone, when you're afraid, when you feel as if no one cares, if everyone's walked out of the door, that is not something that you hold a monopoly on. Everyone in this room has felt like that at some point in your life. You know that moment when you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind is racing because of all the problems and all the challenges and all the heartache and the heartbreak that you're feeling? When it feels like you've got so much on you, the burden is so great that your shoulders are being weighed down by the weight of all the things that you've got to face. Listen, it is not unique to you. We've all been there. Feeling alone is not an uncommon condition. Look what it says in Psalm 27, beginning with verse 1. In the midst of all that David was facing, here's what he wrote, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The circumstances surrounding this psalm, these words that that he wrote, the circumstances we've already shared today are pretty intense, pretty amazing. That David could be going through a time when literally everyone was out to kill him. That he was actually having to hide out, acting like an insane man, like someone that should be thrown in an insane asylum because of all the things that he was going through. He was having to go through and do all of those things to try to protect himself. He's having to beg bread, beg food from somebody, please provide some food because I'm hungry. He's having to do all of these things, even though all of the great victories of the past were just in, in recent history, and now here he is. Man, he's begging, and here's what he says, though the enemies encamp around me, Even though they are camped all around me, even though they are coming after me, my enemies, my foes, no matter how many are out there coming to destroy me and kill me, whom shall I fear? Of what can I be afraid? Because God is my light. God is my salvation. Listen, the first lesson we can learn when we feel alone and when we feel afraid is to stop depending on you and your ability to get yourself out of your condition and start believing in God. To start recognizing that we have nothing to fear because God is with us every step of the way. You see, when we get to that place when we feel alone, man, it's not unique to us. It's a common situation that people all around us feel all the time. In fact, in a room this large with as many people are sitting in this room, I can guarantee you that probably within about 10 feet of where you're sitting right now, there are people who feel just like you do, that they feel alone and afraid too. They feel as if nobody cares as well. They feel like they're going through the worst moment of their life, just like maybe you do. Man, we're not alone. But the Lord is still our light. He's still our salvation. Nothing to fear. Feeling alone is a common condition, but not only that, feeling alone should never shake our confidence in God. Look what it says in Psalm 27, beginning in verse 3, in the last part of that verse. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. You ought to underline that in your Bible. In this I will be confident. Basically saying my life is crumbling down around me. My life is in shambles. I've lost everything. Now think of what he's lost now. A few days ago, he was the hero. He was the toast of the town. Everyone thought he was awesome. He, everyone, he's a celebrity. He's like everyone wanted to know him and be around him. He's the one that people were trying to get selfies with whenever he walked through the town, right? He's the one that they, you know, was having to give autographs. He's the one that everyone wanted to be hanging out with. Everyone wanted to be friends with. And now he's lost everything. And so he says this, The war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble He shall hide me in His pavilion, in the secret place of His tabernacle He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock." What's the lesson David is teaching us in this moment? Man, he's teaching us that in the most difficult days of his life, he was still having confidence in the God that had brought him this far. 
that he still had confidence in God, that nothing would take him down. He said there, this one thing that I seek, this one thing that I prayed for, this one thing that I've longed for is to be in the temple of God, in the house of the living God, the house of the Lord. Now, that's not a location he's not talking. He's not talking about a place. He wasn't talking about finding a church to go hang out in. He wasn't talking about the tabernacle to go and to be in that place because, you know, that was a special place. He wasn't talking about a a physical location. He was talking about a state of mind, a state of being. And not in some transcendental way. He was just simply saying this, what I desire is to be in the house of the Lord. In other words, I want to be in God's presence because the house of the Lord represented the presence of God. Because remember now, you go back in Israel's history, wherever the tabernacle was, that's where God's presence was, right? Remember the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, that whenever it moved, that that means that God was moving into the tabernacle, they packed it up and they followed God and they went because God was in that place. That place they came to worship, that place they came to sacrifice, that that tabernacle was a place. This is where God was, and so it represented the presence of God. So what did David want more than anything in the most difficult days of his life? He just simply wanted to be in the presence of God. Not in a room, not in a building, but in his heart and his mind. In other words, God, I just want to seek you. God, I want to talk to you. God, I want to be encouraged by your word. And listen, the lesson for us is this. When you are in that same kind of a situation in your life where you feel all alone and you feel afraid, when you feel as everything is crumbling down around you, do not try to figure out where you can go and what you can do and what self-help book that you can read or what person can help you out of the situation. Here's what you do. You have confidence in one thing, that God will always be by your side. And get into God's Word, get on your knees before God in prayer, and talk to Him because God will never leave you. Seek out the presence of God in your life. That's what David did when everything was falling apart. Nothing could shake the confidence of God. He just continued to trust God. And he recognized that trusting God in the midst of our trouble is the first step towards victory. He knew that in that moment when all was lost, trusting God was the first step that he needed to take to make his way back. Look what he said in in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. And therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Even in this situation, David knew that the first step that he needed to take in order to find victory once again is he needed to trust God and praise God. Man, what a great lesson for us. Because you know what we do oftentimes when we face situations where life is crumbling down around us, when we're afraid, when, we're, when we feel all alone, when we're scared, when, when everything is like just going badly and we don't know what to do? You know, the last thing we find ourselves doing is praising God in the midst of it. Now, we're really good at feeling sorry for ourselves, aren't we? Be honest. I mean, we're really good at feeling sorry for ourselves. Man, woe is me. I can't believe this is happening. This is awful. I can't believe this is happening to me. I'm a good guy. Man, look what I've done. Look at all the good things that I've done. I can't believe God's letting this happen. Why would God let this happen? Do you really believe God's going to take care of me? I can't believe God is letting this happen. Why would God let this happen to me? Does that sound like words that maybe have kind of run through your mind? Certainly we wouldn't stand up in church and say all of those things, but we believed it. Why would God let this happen to me? 
man, I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to live the right way. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to, you know, show up when church is over. I'm trying to do all the things the right way and to, to do all the things I'm supposed to do. Why would God let this happen to me? You see, David's lesson was the complete opposite. When everything was going wrong, what did he do? I will sing. I will sing praises to my king. Trusting God. Because he knew that that was the first step towards making it through in victory. So, hey, when you're going through these moments of feeling alone and afraid in your own journey, in your own life, when it feels like everything is falling down around you, you want to know what's the first thing you do? Man, you don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. You don't sit there and have make sure that everybody around you gets to hear the story of how bad things are. I mean, it's not the, you know, it's the old hee-haw song, you know, the gloom and, remember, you know the song, right? All you old people, us old people, we know that song. I don't know the song. I was trying to think of it, but I can't think of it. Gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression. What's the next part? I love, this is great. That show hadn't been on the air in 40 years, and we still remember that song. That's awful. That's not what you do when life is falling apart. Because when you do that, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. When you sit there and feel sorry for yourself, when you sit there and complain, when you sit there and complain to everybody else around you of what you're going through, what is naturally going to happen from that is this. You're going to feel worse. And you're going to bring a lot of people with you. And everybody is going to feel bad. And when everybody feels bad, guess what nobody's feeling? Good. But do you remember a little while ago when we were singing together and we were talking about the goodness of God in the words of that song? When we were singing about how awesome our God is, when we were singing about how God will never leave us, when we were singing about God is always there, you know what naturally happens? We feel pretty good. Our hearts are lifted when we sing praises to God. And so David understood that. Listen, the first step towards victory, I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Trusting God in our trouble is our first step towards victory. And trusting God requires something of us, and that's seeking God. Again, look in verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. David here referring back to the promise in Deuteronomy that our God will never, never leave us, that he will never forsake us, that we can be strong and courageous because God is always there. You see, trusting God starts by seeking God by seeking Him through His Word and through prayer, of digging into the great truths that God has given to us in this book. This book is not so we would have something to carry when we show up to church. This book is not so we would have something to put our hand on when we're making a vow to go into office. This book is not to show up at our weddings and our funerals and no other time in life. It is not a placeholder on the bookshelves of our lives. It is the manual that God gives to us of where we can find His truth when we need them the most. When everything is falling apart, trusting God requires seeking God. And David understood that. David knew, man, the only way I'm going to get through this is to stop trusting in the fact that the king gave me his daughter, to stop trusting in the fact that I killed a giant in the valley 
to stop trusting in the fact that a man said that I was going to be king, that I was going to be somebody, that I was going to be successful, and to start seeking the only one who can give me the hope that I need to make it day by day seeking God. Because he knew when all else fails, when the bank account's empty, when the friends have left, when no one's listening, when the doctor calls with a bad report, when the job is lost, when the mortgage isn't paid, when the bills are piling up, and when we're all alone, when everything else fails, David knew, I got to trust God. When all else fails, look what he said in verse 10, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me. They're lying about me, David said. And such as breathe out violence against me, David said. I would have lost heart. Listen to this. I would have thrown in the towel. I would quit. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So what does David say? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Life tough? You bet it is. Does life hurt? At times it does. Is pain just around the corner? Count on it. Are people going to walk out on you when you think that that would never happen? You could. Are you going to get to the place when you feel like you've got nothing left? I can guarantee you that you will be at that place in your life multiple times between now and the time you go to heaven. I promise you, you'll be there. All is lost. Everything fails. There is no hope. What do I do now? Wait on the Lord. Yes, wait on Him. I would have nothing left. I would have given up hope if I didn't believe down deep in my heart that I would see the goodness of my Lord in the land of the living. As long as you have breath in your lungs, as long as your heart is beating, you can be assured the goodness of God is always there. Trust in God. Let's pray together. Father, today I know there are people in this room who feel alone, who feel afraid, who feel as if everyone has walked out on them, have left them in the dust and don't care. I know there are people in this room today whose hearts are broken beyond repair, they believe. But God, I know according to your word that we are never without hope. God, that you are always there, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And so, God, I pray that today we would be encouraged by the words of David. When they were out to kill him, when he would end up hiding out in the, in the caves, running for his life, 
begging for bread all by himself. That God, he remembered the words. Yeah, I would give up if it weren't for the fact that my God is good. Lord, I pray that today that we would recognize our God is good, that our God is there. God, that you care for us deeply. And God, that you will bring us through in victory. And God, for that, we give you the praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing the songs, the, the words of an old, familiar hymn. It's an old, familiar song. It starts off with the words, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And friend, maybe today, those are the words that you need to do more than just sing, that you need to embrace. Maybe today you need to come to this altar and just kneel here and say, God, I need to trust you again. God, I've been trying to do all this stuff on my own. I've been trying to figure out a way out. God, I've blown it. I've lost it. I don't know what to do. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. God is not going to leave you alone. God is not going to leave you and forsake you. Today, maybe you need to come and just say, God, I trust you. Maybe you need to come today and say, you know, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died and that he rose again. Today, I want to meet him as my Lord and Savior. I encourage you in a moment to step out, to come down to this altar, to talk with one of our team. Maybe you want to come and leave a prayer request or a praise. Maybe you want to come and join our church family. Maybe you want to come for baptism, take that next step. Whatever it is that God is telling you to do, the natural response that should be flowing from our heart is, oh, it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. So let's stand together. Let's sing these words. And if God is pulling you today to make a decision, I encourage you to step out right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of, of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God. We must believe that he died and that he rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, 
anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, do so today, believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope to let the world know God loves. Thank you.